Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. I'm so glad that you're joining us today. Today I'm joined by Zach Morris to be discussing kettlebell training and how to master a variety of kettlebell exercises such as the Turkish get-up, the kettlebell swing, the snatch, the bent press, and so much more. We have jam-packed so much great information into this episode And I really want to make sure that you see the links that I've pasted below to find Zach's Instagram page and the books that he has written on mastering the snatch and mastering the bottoms up kettlebell press. Zach is an amazing individual to talk with and learn from because he holds, in my mind, the best certification for kettlebell training, the Strong First kettlebell certification. And he is doing some amazing things with kettlebells. He's the strongest person I've ever met when it comes to kettlebell training. Now, before we get to this episode, here's a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by CTM Band and CTM Recovery Products. These are the exact soft tissue recovery tools that I'm using on myself and with my patients day in and day out. CTM Band was founded by Dr. Kyle Bowling, a sports medicine practitioner who treats professional athletes, and he was a former guest on the Brawn Body Health and Fitness Podcast. You can check out his website at the link below and use the coupon code BRAWN10 to save 10% off your order from CTM Band. Zach, welcome to the podcast. Super excited to have you on today, man. Thank you for having me. It's always cool having uh, coming on a podcast, and I appreciate you letting me come on. Yeah, for sure, man. So for people who haven't seen the stuff that you're doing with kettlebells or who haven't, you know, come across your books or that sort of thing, would you mind kind of filling them in a bit about yourself? So I I started kettlebell training about, I want to say it's been 12 years. I started in 2010. The way that I got started was I was a, I was a broke college kid. I started working full time and then going to college full time. Didn't really have time to go to a gym. So I needed an, an at-home solution. One of the things that started me as far as like at-home workouts was Ross Enemite, so Ross training. Uh, did a lot of that kind of stuff. Didn't really hit the mark as far as what I was looking for. And, and of course, around that time, the movie 300 was popular. One of the things that uh, Gerard Butler mentioned, who was, of course, the main star of that film, was how the cast used kettlebells to... Um, achieve the physique that they that they got for the for the film so I started looking more into it one of the first pictures that I ever saw of somebody training with a kettlebell was Mike Mahler whenever he wrote articles for bodybuilding.com and then uh, went on YouTube saw a lot of the stuff that Steve Cotter was doing Uh, Bill Maeda was an early influence as well uh, on the Fit Pro Hawaii channel and I just saw his physique and I was like man well if, if kettlebells can do this for these guys maybe there's something to this so that's really what got me started i bought my first kettlebell it was a 20 kilo and then uh there was a workout that was called the 300 kettlebell workout by mark erickson uh, from kettlebell advantage and that was like the first circuit that really got me started and then as i improved on that then i started to change my diet uh, I was still living at home with mom and dad at the time, so I bought my uh, I bought a George Foreman grill, started buying my own groceries, and not not uh, trying to eat all the garbage that was in the pantry. And so uh, 
then I just improved more and more. Uh, then after that, I bought a 32 kilogram kettlebell. They were the old uh, cap kettlebells with the thick handles. And I started doing like light work with the 20 kilogram and then doing like heavy work with the 32. And things have really just progressed from that point. You know, I, I spent a long time in either a bedroom in my mom and dad's house. And then I moved out, lived in an apartment, worked, uh, worked out in, in an apartment bedroom, did that for 10 years. Eventually I bought um, the competition kettlebell. So I got a pair of 32s, then a pair of 24s, moved up to 40s, worked up with the pair of 40s for a few years. And then once I got done with college, which was back in 2018, I decided, you know what, I'm going to lift a barbell again. And it had been since the year after high school since I, I had lifted a barbell and uh, did that for a year. Then the pandemic happened. Whenever the pandemic happened around that time, I was like, you know what? I'm doing a lot of good stuff with the kettlebells. I want to make some memories out of this. And um, I didn't want to grow old or, or not have anything to look back on. Or if I have kids or grandkids, not have anything to show them as far as, you know, what I used to be able to do or have anything to look back on as far as what I could do once upon a time. And then, um, so I, I just started uploading videos to uh, Facebook and the first video that I posted wasn't even a kettlebell video. It was actually the first time that I had ever done a muscle up. I was surprised at the feedback that I got. It was positive. And then I was like, you know what, maybe I can, maybe there's more to this. And so I started an Instagram account. The first video that I had ever posted was uh, snatching the 40 kilogram. I did 22 reps on each arm. I posted that to a Facebook group and I, I was just, I was overwhelmed at like the positivity that I received from it. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to start an Instagram account. I'm going to post all this stuff, try to make some memories out of it. And rather than just making memories out of it, it evolved into connecting with people that have the same shared interests. And Instagram has been a powerful tool for that. You know, there's so many ideas that I can pick up on. There's different people that I see doing different things. And it's really opened my eyes to what is possible. And I've just piggybacked off of a lot of different stuff that I've seen. And it's, it's, uh, helped me improve as an athlete. And as the ball has continued to roll, that's, that's sort of evolved into helping people. You know, I, I get questions about how I do certain things all the time, uh, what might be able to help somebody else. And so it got to a point with the questions where I was like, you know, in order to answer all of these questions, I'm going to have to, I would have to write a book, you know? And so that's what I did. And um, so I wrote Simple Snatch Programming, and then I've also written uh, Wielding Excalibur, which is uh, not only for improving the bottom-up press, but also pressing in general. It starts with uh, learning how to improve the kettlebell press and then segues into uh, bottom-up pressing. And so um, I'm also working on a third book right now, which is all of my blog posts and all of the life lessons that I've learned from training with kettlebells. Simple snatch programming is really, um, in my mind, somebody who wants to reach the 100 rep snatch test goal in five minutes. If they want to take it further than that, 
then if they want to compete in Gear Boy Sport one day, they certainly can. But it's sort of a, a gatekeeper type thing, so to speak. So if somebody wants to reach that goal, I, I think it's, in my mind, I think that it's a worthy goal that anybody can aspire to reach. And it's just a very basic, very simple way for somebody to be able to do that. From the time that I've started until now, everything's just evolved and developed to where we're at now. So that's kind of my my story. Yeah, that's incredible, man. And one of the things I notice is it seems like people who train with kettlebells really have fun doing it because there's so many different possibilities and there's a lot of freedom to move with those things so you take your basic movements like the kettlebell swing or the clean and press or whatever exercises you're familiar with and then you can start combining them or kind of tweaking things and allow your body to kind of explore movement for lack of a better way to put it so I've noticed sometimes people start with like a basic kettlebell swing and next thing you know, they're switching the kettlebell between left arm and right arm, or they're throwing in a little flip to the kettlebell, and they really seem to enjoy it. And I think that finding something that you like doing is essential to whatever your fitness path and fitness journey is uh, going to look like. I also find it funny that you mentioned uh, the 300 movie. It's one of your early influences there, because I still watch that movie different times. It's kind of like my pre-workout you know i don't need yeah. caffeine i just need the you know the first battle scene from the movie 300 where they push them all off the cliffs um so i i like that movie and that training approach that they used now given hollywood has a way of photoshopping certain things in the yeah, absolutely. but they yeah. they certainly were in great shape and i think they used i think it was the single arm kettlebell clean and press was their main kettlebell movement in their training which obviously that unilateral component, the overhead nature and the explosiveness really hit all the things that they needed to, you know, give that aesthetic appearance that they were going for in that movie, but also do the stunts and the choreography and all. And I think that's where people kind of lose it with kettlebell training is, you know, they see these things and they think, you know, what's possible with this? And yes. they realize anything is possible or they should realize anything is possible because you can train explosive you can train for stability and you can train heavy all at the same time it really works for any kind of goal or any kind of training approach yeah and the enjoyability factor is super important and i you know i, I train with barbells too i do body weight calisthenics and things like that what makes barbell training enjoyable is just the prs you know getting stronger I still contend that the barbell is the best way to improve maximum strength, limit strength, um, and increasing muscle mass in the most efficient way in the shortest period of time. But with kettlebells, you, you have so much more fun doing it, and there's, there's so much more creativity that you can engage in and embark upon. And um, like with the juggling, for example, um, I had never even flipped a kettlebell until somebody saw it, until I saw somebody do it on Instagram. And then I was like, well, that's pretty cool. And then um, I just got better and better. And it's, it's made training a whole lot more fun. I had never done a bent press until I had gotten on Instagram. Didn't even know what it was. And um, also the convenience factor too. Like if you're a busy working professional, not everybody has time to go to a gym and work with a barbell. And so 
as long as you have, you know, an eight by eight space in an apartment or a house somewhere, then it, as long as you have a few kettlebells laying around, you can get in as good a shape as you'll need to be for anything that you'll ever need to do. So Yeah, 100%. There was, it was a while ago, but there was a write-up, uh, I forget if it was a blog or a newspaper or what it was, but it was a truck driver who kept three kettlebells in his semi-truck. And that was his workout when he was on the road. And he lost like 30 or 40 pounds just doing some basic kettlebell stuff every day. And if anyone's familiar with the Tim Ferriss book, Four Hour Body, I mean, Tim basically credits the kettlebell swing to him being able to lose the amount of weight he did in, you know, a matter of a month or two. So this stuff is super effective. And as you mentioned, you know, the barbell tends to be the standard for strength training. But we, we look back historically at where kettlebells came from because they had a heavy Russian influence. I believe it was Pavel who brought them to America originally. Yeah. And you look at the numbers that the Russians were putting up at the time under a bar, and it was pretty impressive stuff. Sure. So I really find that the kettlebells complement the barbell training well, and they kind of hit the weaker areas or they give you more of a complete general physical prep program that kind of hits patterns that you might not hit with the barbell. Yeah, it's that what the hell effect, right? <laughs> and and uh, whenever you, uh, and, and I've, I'm also Strong First SFG certified. And so whenever uh, you go through the Strong First curriculum, one of the things that Louis, Louis Simmons mentioned from Westside Barbell is that what the kettlebell does is it replicates what the best athletes do naturally from a ballistic standpoint. You know, me personally, I hadn't deadlifted in about three months. The last time that I had actually deadlifted this year was back in late April, early May. And then just a week ago, I hit a deadlift PR without actually even deadlifting. All I did was uh, kettlebell and sandbag training. So you can go a long way, you know, just using the, the kettlebells. And they yeah. absolutely complement everything else that you do. Yeah, definitely. A hundred percent. Now you mentioned that you've got the uh, strong first kettlebell certification. And one of the things that I love about that certification is it might be the only one I've seen that actually makes you prove your ability to do the exercise as kind of like a final exam. So you mentioned before about the snatch test, but I believe they go over six different basic kettlebell movements that are kind of like the fundamentals of yes. kettlebell training. Is that correct? Yeah. So swing, get up, press, double clean, snatch. Yeah, and then the you mentioned the uh, Turkish get up there. I mean, yeah. that's one of the best full body movements I think that you can do. And oh yeah, yeah. Front front squat was the other one. Double okay. front squat. Okay, okay, so perfect. Yeah. yeah. So with the Turkish get up there, I've given that one to people in the past for warm ups, and they're like, you know, hey, the warm up is harder than the workout itself here yeah but i find that's a very beneficial and effective movement not just as a training tool but also a screening tool because you find out where people are weak in their body in certain parts of the movement for people who aren't familiar with the get up would you mind kind of walking us through that step by step on how you would perform that and how you would load it and all that sort of thing yeah it, and it's you mentioned that it's pretty amazing to me how you, you often see power lifters and strength athletes who 
put up enormous barbell lifting numbers. They can squat 500 pounds, deadlift 600, so forth and so on. And then you give them a 32 kilogram kettlebell and they struggle to do a get up. <laughs> and, and I'm sure that if they, if they practice the movement over time, they'd be able to, to get it down pat, but it, it's, it, it goes to show you like how different it is in comparison to barbell training. But as far as the get up is concerned, well, it, of course you start in the fetal position, then you roll over and then uh, you press the weight up using both hands in, in sort of a flat floor press, bent press position. The one thing that really trips people up is coming off of the floor. And that, that's the main thing that I see people struggle with. It's the thing that I struggle with. And rather than thinking about doing a sit-up, so to speak, and then sitting up on your, your hand and your arm, you really want to learn how to roll into your elbow and connect your body with the tricep and then push the tricep into the ground and then come up. Once you've established that position, raising off of the floor, keeping your um, the foot that's on the same side as your uh, lifting arm planted into the ground and then sweep the opposite leg through and then making the, uh, the, the, the leg that you just sweep perpendicular with the foot that's pressing into the ground, transitioning into a lunge position and then standing up with the kettlebell. And then you just come back down into the lunge position, learning how to create the 90 degree angle between each leg is very important. So that way you don't put undue stress on the lumbar and sacral spine. And then uh, just coming back down, learning how to come back down on the elbow and then sit back down. So those are basically the mechanics that are involved with the get up. And I'm sure it's a super fast, explosive movement, right? <laughs> no, you can train it that way if you want to, but uh, you definitely need to learn how to to maintain the time under tension. So, yeah, and I think that's what really gets people with that one is it combines all planes of movement simultaneously throughout the body, and you have to maintain a good stable core throughout yeah. the the entire movement. And I think when I was initially learning about the movement, it was recommended to do like a minute per rep, roughly which that's super slow in my mind. Like when's the last time you took 60 seconds to do a rep of anything at the gym. Yeah. And now it's like, okay, we're going to do five of these, but you're going to make each one last a minute, like second or third one in I'm shaking all over. And I was just trying to hold my shoe up at that point, not even a weight. <laughs> so it's a really tough one. And I found a lot of people like to compensate with it too. Like you'll see different uh, lumbar and pelvic alignments and positions, or you'll see them kind of, push off more with their arms to get up instead of driving through their legs. Yeah. Um, it's kind of interesting how people move through that pattern. I'll say the, the get up and the bent press are like, for me, they're like peanut butter and jelly. They, they, they challenge the ability to rotate, you know, and, and rotational strength is often an overlooked thing among athletes. I think at one point, wasn't the, uh, bent press part of a strongman competition or a powerlifting competition i think like back in the like early stages in like the 50s i thought yeah. that used to be a competitive thing because they used to like lift a dumbbell up from that position or something 
Yeah, the old time strongman, it was a staple lift. And like over time, it's really gone to the wayside. And uh, Arthur Saxon is the most famous proponent of the bent press. And I think he still, from what I understand, he, he still has the world record. I don't know if there's any video. I haven't been able to find any video footage. Of course, this was back in the, the 1800s. But word of mouth was that he does hold the world bent press record. And it was like 371 pounds with a barbell, something just ridiculous. I mean, just doing it with my 68 kilogram kettlebell is more than enough for me. I don't even think that I'll ever plan on going past that much. So, right, right. For the bent press, you basically hinge at the hips, turn towards one side and then press up overhead with one arm. Correct. If I were to teach somebody the bent press, the first thing that I would have them do is walk up to a wall, move to the side, connect your tricep with your lat, go up to the wall with your side, push against the wall. And what I would ask is, whenever you push up against the wall, is the wall going that way or is your body moving that way? And of course, your body's moving that way. And so that's what you want to replicate whenever you bent press. It's not pressing up as much as you're pressing into it, maintaining tension and then moving your body away. So, yeah. And, and it's that you, you create this sensation of like your, your forearm is like one half of an accordion and then your body is the other half of the accordion and you're sort of pulling it apart and once you've got the the weight in the air and by the way whenever you do a bent press when you have a kettlebell or a barbell in the air and you're moving down and you're pushing your body away the height of the weight should never change it should always stay the same height in the air your body's just going down and then once you've got your arm completely straightened out it's learning how to come up and rotate at the hip. And then, of course, you've got the weight up in the air. Once you're successfully vertical with the weight, you come back down, put it on the floor. But uh, the bent press to me is one of the best hip strengtheners that you can do. And it, 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 un it unlocks so many different parts of the body. Like from a mobility standpoint, it unlocks your adductors your hips, uh, your rotator cuff. So if you have like mobility sort of problems, the bent press while also using resistance can also, it can help a lot of those things. And, and people from, if, if somebody hasn't done a bent press, an onlooker will think, well, that looks kind of dangerous or it looks like it's hard on the spine. It's one of the best things that you can do for lumbar and sacral health in my opinion it should actually help to get rid of back problems now of course if you have pre-existing conditions or like prior injuries where you can't do it then you know that's kind of a different conversation to have but otherwise if you're relatively healthy and you learn how to do the bent press it's one of the best things that you can do in my opinion for longevity as far as spinal health is concerned yeah, 100%. As long as you're doing it correctly, keeping yeah. that cord nice and stable and tightened down, 
while allowing the hips to move because yeah. that's one of the things we see with back pain is people tend to have very little hip mobility and yes. very poor core stability. And this is kind of addressing both ends of that. And I'm still kind of blown away by the fact that this guy was able to lift over 300 pounds in that bent press kind of pattern there because you're doing that all through one arm at a time, basically. And yeah. I mean, holding a bar, holding a barbell with one arm at a time is hard enough to balance and all, let alone doing it with 300 some pounds on there. That's crazy stuff, man. Yeah, yeah. And he, he wasn't even a very big guy. I don't think Arthur Saxon weighed more than 210 pounds. So it's not like he was a 280 or 300 pound behemoth like a, a Brian Shaw or a Thor or somebody like that. Yeah, and I think he was like back in what, like 1900 roughly was kind of his era? L late 1800s, early 1900s, somewhere along those lines. And uh, he's written two books that are really popular, which is The Development of Physical Power and then the textbook of weightlifting. They're not very long reads. They're, they're pretty short books, but he has a lot of good insight in those books. Of course, you can get those on Amazon too, but uh, the, the perspective of the old-time strongman I think is pretty powerful stuff, especially considering they were in a time where the nutrition, the supplements, so forth and so on that we have now. Yeah, 100%. It worked then, and it still works to this yeah. day, and that's one of the things that I really like about the kettlebell training, and I, again, I've heard a lot about it with the kettlebell swing as well, because guys like Tim Ferriss and Pavel and all these different other online uh, influencers even are taking the kettlebell swing and they're pushing it all over the place, which I'm all for, except I've noticed a lot of people when they do the swings, they're using like super light weights, like 10, 20, 30 pound kettlebells. And to me, I would think you'd probably want something a little bit heavier to actually load the posterior yeah. chain so something more like your 24 or 28 kilo kettlebell or maybe even heavier right and start swinging with the heavy weight because you're using the biggest muscles of your body your core your glutes your hamstrings and you're training a triple extension kind of pattern because you get hip extension knee extension and you can even throw in that ankle plantar uh dorsiflexion plantar flexion component sure. if you'd like to people continue to train it light and i wish i'd they would start training it heavier yeah and of course whenever you go through an sfg certification depending on your body weight if you're a male if you're under 220 pounds uh the weight that you use is a 24 kilo but if you're over 220 pounds uh you're going to use a 28 and so everything you do starts with the 24 kilo which if you're if you're a male and you're going to perform a two-handed swing i don't really see any reason not to start with a 24 i, I mean if you're if you're a male and you're beginning kettlebell training i think that you would need maybe like 124 and like a pair of 16s you know once you get into like cleans and presses and things like that if you're just a raw beginner a pair of 24s might be a little bit too aggressive, but as far as two-handed swings are concerned, you can get by on a, at least a 24 kilogram pretty well. That would kind of be my take on that. And then are there ever times when you go significantly higher? Like say you're doing your training at a gym and they have kettlebells that go up to say 80 or 90 pounds. 
would you kind of dip higher into that range at all or would you stay kind of roughly in that middle ground well in the gym that i go to the highest that they have is a 32 so as far as doing swings at a gym i really don't do it that often now in, in the garage where i have better bigger kettlebells i go all the way up to my 68 i will be honest in saying that the vast majority of my training, I spend more time snatching than I do swings. I will do swings as a warm up on occasion. If for whatever reason I have, you know, elbow inflammation or some sort of overuse injury occurring, or if I tear my hands from snatching, then I'll resort to the heavy two handed swings as a substitution in the event that that happens. After a while, in, in I'm probably not the only person who thinks this, but it gets to a point where once you get proficient enough with swings and the snatch, your mentality is sort of like, well, what's a swing to a snatch? Like I would rather spend the vast majority of my time improving my snatch and getting better with uh, endurance and things like that and in uh, improving my snatch numbers. So the vast majority of the time, that's what I'm doing. Swings can make a great substitution in the event that something's going on where uh, you can't snatch for whatever reason. But what I will say is that if you go up to heavy two-handed swings, like with my 68, for example, it's super excellent for strengthening the quads and the glutes. And if you do it with a really light kettlebell, you're just not going to get that same sensation there's kind of a goldilocks zone in other words that somebody's going to get to where you have to learn how to really flex your quads into the, the ground and really learn how to ignite your glutes and with a really light kettlebell you're just not going to get that and so you kind of have to experiment and go up to a kettlebell where you start to really feel that and then once you get to that point you'll kind of know where that is yeah, that makes sense. And I would imagine you could kind of start your snatch training or your clean training based on where you were with the swing as well. Yes. When it comes to that snatch and that clean progression, how would you break that movement down for people or, you know, where should people start in training for that? Because as you meant, as we mentioned before, you know, if you are doing like an RKC uh, kettlebell course, you're going to be expected to do 100 reps in five minutes. And they're going to be perfect form, which that can be difficult even for people who have trained with kettlebells before. Yeah. So with the strong first model, by the way, if you want to learn proper swing technique, um, Zar Horton has a really good video. And I don't know if it was on his particular YouTube page or if it was on the strong first uh, YouTube channel, but he had a really good um instructional video on learning how to sit the set the hips back and which is basically the what people refer to as the karate chop which is taking your hands and putting it on your hips and learning how to squeeze your shoulder blades and while your your shoulder blades are squeezed sit the hips back and if you've ever watched uh enter the kettlebell with pavel he he mentions the same thing which is uh, learning how to sit the hips back. The first movement that you need to learn is just doing a two-handed deadlift. So if you can learn how to sit your hips back, perform a two-handed deadlift and learn how to maintain tension on your hamstrings and then learn how to 
maintain tension while coming up with the weight, using your breath while also maintaining tension. A lot of the things that you see with strong first is the kind of uh, breathing technique where you're breathing out, but you're maintaining tension throughout your entire body. So learning how to deadlift, two-handed, and then from that point, you transition and segue into a one-handed deadlift, and then learning how to do a two-handed swing where, you, well, not, not a two-handed swing, but learning how to hike the kettlebell. So going back and then returning to the ground, going back and then returning to the ground. And then from that point, you transition to a dead swing. So a dead two-handed swing, learning how to swing up, come back down. And then from that point, learning how to do the two-handed swing in its entirety. The one analogy that I like to use with the swing is it's a lot like learning how to jump on a trampoline. So if, if you ever grew up with, have, with a trampoline in your backyard, or if you had a friend that had a trampoline in, your backyard, in, in their backyard, it's the same sensation. You learn how to sit back, you load your hamstrings, you jump up in the air, and when you're up in the air, you're in a completely vertical position. You come back down, and then you repeat and do the same thing. The only difference between jumping on a trampoline and doing a swing is your feet don't leave the ground. They're completely planted. And then you're catapulting a weight in front of you and learning how to pack your shoulder and retract your lat so that the weight doesn't pull your body away. So that's really the analogy that I like to use as far as performing a swing is concerned. Just think of it as jumping on a trampoline and learning how to explode up into your quads. Um, whenever I see somebody who performs a two-handed swing at a gym, oftentimes I, it just makes me cringe a little bit because they're, they're, their legs are way too far apart and then they're using way too much low back. Um, and, and they're going down and up and trying to do this weird tug of war thing. And I've heard people refer to it as like an American swing as opposed to a Russian swing. To me, there's a correct swing and then there's an incorrect swing. When it comes to performing a swing, the way that I, what I would tell somebody is when it comes to being in the, in the, in a position when you're down on the ground before you hike, if I were to take a pecan or a walnut and put it in between your glutes. When you swing upward, you need to squeeze and contract your glutes so hard and so explosively that you're able to crack that nut. And then at the same time, you are going up into your quads, like you're jumping up into the air, your, your feet just don't leave the ground. And so you're just driving your quads as much as possible into the ground. And then from that point, uh, once you've got your swing down, now we're going to transition into high pulls, which a high pull is very similar to doing like an upright row with a dumbbell or a barbell. So coming up in this position, and then once you've really mastered the high pull, it's just a matter of learning how to flip the bell over and come in to the overhead position. Now, as far as the, the snatch test is concerned and passing the snatch test, over the years, what I've done is I've incorporated elements of both the hard style snatch and the Giravoy sport snatch, which the way that they differ is with the hard style snatch, the feet are always planted on the, in the ground. And rather than 
rather than turning the hand inward on the way down, like you would with a Giraboy sports snatch, the, the, the weight comes completely over, kind of like you're shooting a free throw. So your, your feet are planted into the ground, you come up, and then it's like you're shooting a free throw and you're just coming down completely forward. Whereas with the Giraboy sport snatch, whenever you come up, you're twisting the weight. And so whenever you come up and you twist the weight, the foot that's on the same side as your lifting arm comes up off of the ground. And then when you come down, you're making this twist with the, the hand so that the weight successfully transitions from palm to mid fingers. So that way you don't tear your hands. And then when you come down, the opposite foot comes up off of the ground from the lifting arm. And so you're, you're sort of making these rocking motions. So on one hand, the hard style snatch emphasizes maximum muscle recruitment, whereas the Giravoy sport snatch emphasizes maximum energy conservation. If you want to successfully pass the 100 rep snatch test, in my experience, if you learn how to do the turn style, you'll be able to squeeze out more repetitions just because you're not tearing your hands as much. And you're also decreasing the range of motion that's necessary uh, and, and conserving energy in order to perform the snatch. Now, as you do more of a Giravoy sport style of snatch and you increase the weight and you go up to your 32s and your 40s and your 48s, as the weight gets heavier, and you're able to produce more repetitions, even if you're not doing a purely hard style snatch, if you've been doing it for long enough with heavy weights, then if you go down to the 24 kilogram, if that's your test weight, even if you've been incorporating elements of the Giravoy sport snatch, then once you go down to the 24 and do a purely hard style snatch, you're going to demolish it just because you've been working with that heavy weight for so long. that That's kind of been my experience in that regard. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. And I like kind of the combo of combining two different techniques for the snatch in order to improve one. Now, speaking mostly to the hard style one, because that's the one I'm most familiar with personally, I've noticed, at least for me, that turn motion when we start to go overhead tends to be a problem area, at least for me, whenever I do it on my left hand, I always end up whacking my watch with the yeah. kettlebell and <laughs> it destroyed the watch face quite uh, quite good here. Um, so do you usually, weird question, but do you usually train without a watch or do you have a way of training that avoids that sudden impact of the bell against the forearm? Or Yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend using a watch if I could. <laughs> but um Another thing you can do, uh, you can also wear uh, like the tennis sweatbands. I wear those every now and then. Of course, the other thing that I run into too is that um, if you train kettlebells with a bare forearm and you're doing a high enough rep amount of repetitions and you tend to sweat a lot, the kettlebell also rubs on your forearm and you get you can develop like these sweat bumps that are kind of like pimples and that can get very irritating especially if you go in and you try to train with kettlebells and you've got that going on. So you can buy like the, the tennis sweatbands and put that on your forearms. I think there's actually a company that 
makes them for kettlebells and they call them like a kettle guard or something like that. But I mean, if, if you just go to the wall, if you go to a Walmart or a sporting goods store, you can just buy just sweatbands and put them on your forearm. But that's one thing that you can consider. But the main thing as far as like not banging your forearm, don't think of it so much as, and I know there's a lot of like perception in, in semantic things that go on here, but don't think of it so much as like swinging the weight over your forearm as much as you're punching your arm through and allowing the weight to glide onto the forearm. And it takes a lot of practice, but once you feel the glide, it starts to make sense. And, and another thing that, that can kind of help prevent that is if you do incorporate like gear avoid elements as far as snatching the weight up rather than pushing it, you know, punching the weight over, you can come up with it with the, the handle being at an angle or vertical and then learning how to come up and twist the, twist the arm around as opposed to just going completely straight up. So just kind of experiment with both. Um, if you have twisted it, for long enough, what you'll find is that by mastering the twisting motion, if you revert to a hard style snatch, you'll actually be able to make more sense of the gliding sensation that you need to acquire. But that's that's kind of what you need to look for. Not so much of not so much as trying to swing it over your forearm as much as punching through and allowing the weight to glide. I like that cue a lot. Yeah. And it sounds like kettlebells basically give your forearms the equivalent of what deadlifts do to your shins. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At least going overhead with it. Um, and, you know, like we said, these are kind of the more basic fundamental movement patterns for kettlebell training. And once you get those down, then you can start to kind of explore and go a little bit more like freestyle mode with them, I'll say. So. Yeah. If you start, uh, for some reason, your training wants to go in more of a stability direction, maybe when you're doing your clean and snatch progressions, maybe you start going bottoms up at the top as opposed to flipping the weight all the way over because that bottoms up kettlebell position is very difficult to stabilize. You'll feel stuff kick on throughout your whole arm, your shoulder, your core. And I've even given people uh, bench press variations with that before you know, one arm at a time, just doing a bottoms up press. And they're amazed at how much they feel those smaller stabilizing muscles kick on, as opposed to, you know, the barbell, it's just straight, pure strength motion, I'll say. Yeah. And the thing with the body, and you mentioned that too, that the bottom up press, if you are a barbell lifter, and you do bench press, or you do standing overhead press, incline, whatever the case may be, one of the things that you have to emphasize is keeping straight wrists rather than allowing the wrist to cock back. So that way you don't have tendonitis issues in your wrist or end up breaking your wrist if you go too heavy. So the one thing with the bottom up press is that it emphasizes keeping a very straight forearm. If you can't keep a straight forearm, then you're not going to be able to perform the movement. Any of this that goes on while you're trying to bottom up, the weight's just going to fall over. So in that respect, the bottom-up press is a great way to learn how to keep the wrist straight um, when performing barbell movements. And, and also, um, 
the, the stability part of it too, with learning how to push through the front delt rather than a normal press where you're really leveraging the, the side delt, the tricep. I, I like to incorporate both in, in transition from the bottom up press to the, the normal press. And what you'll find is that if you, if you train the bottom up press quite a bit, it will carry over to your, your normal press substantially. Yeah, hundred percent. And, you know, once you get that bottoms up press, say in standing or seated position done well, then you can start to play around with like a Z press position or yeah. like a half kneeling position, or even in like a Turkish get up kind of position. When you get about halfway and you're in that kind of tabletop spot with one arm and both legs on the ground, I've seen people rep out some presses in that position before, which yeah. is super challenging across the body, but really the sky is the limit with kettlebell training and it allows you to hit so many different planes of movement and really explore those weaker motions that you might not always hit with a barbell or machines. Now, when it comes to application and utility of kettlebell training, is there any specific population that comes to mind for you as, you know, Hey, this, this group would really benefit from training with kettlebells or, you know, this sport would really benefit from kettlebell training. I think anybody can benefit from kettlebell training. The The main thing is the general population. You know, like in the United States, for example, I think that we're at a point where the obesity rate is at 42%. As a matter of fact, whenever we went through the COVID pandemic, 80, I think it was estimated that around 80% of the hospitalizations were patients who were clinically obese. So the obesity epidemic is a growing problem in the United States. I think that a lot of that has to do with, of course, our consumer culture, fast food being the way it is, the entertainment industry being the way that it is. But a lot of people don't want to go to gyms either because they don't have time or because they got a family to raise or because of their job being super busy, like you mentioned the truck driver earlier in the, in the podcast, a lot of people don't want to go to gyms because they're intimidated, right? Um, you walk into a gym and like, maybe you're an overweight person or you have that self image problem where you see all these fit people and you don't really feel like you fit in. Kettlebells can be a really great way where if you want to get in shape, and not have that not feel like you're being judged or if you're really short on time all you need is a couple of kettlebells in your living space and you can get an awesome workout in and like you mentioned a while ago um a guy that the, the truck driver who lost you know 30 to 40 pounds just having kettlebells being on the road the kettlebell swing in particular if you're like if you're like a really overweight person, the two-handed kettlebell swing is like the one thing that you can do and not overwhelm yourself. You may have issues like going out for a jog or running on a treadmill or something to that extent. With a two-handed kettlebell, you don't have issues in that, in that regard. Maybe the most that you can do is 10 swings on a day, but if you just stay consistent and do 10 swings a day, eventually that'll turn into 15 and then 20 and then 25. 
Um, and then the next thing you know, you're able to bang out a hundred of them as long as you're taking care of your diet and things like that. So I would say that the general population could really benefit from kettlebell training, especially if, if you are intimidated by the gym environment or if you're just a really busy person in general. Yeah, hundred percent. I did pull up. It was a men's health article from 2020. If anyone wants to look it up there, I'll try and remember to link it in the description below as well. Um, but yeah, it's simple. And thankfully due to, you know, some technological advances, some of the basic kettlebell stuff has become a lot more affordable. Like I know Bowflex makes a kettlebell now. I think it's like a hundred bucks that adjusts from eight pounds to 40 pounds. Sure. Which obviously that's not going to take you all the way through a strong first kettlebell certification. But if you're just looking to get your feet wet and get started and you want to stay at home or you're traveling a lot and you want something to throw in the car and just kind of use here or there. I mean, you can't get much more simple than one kettlebell that adjusts yeah. from eight pounds, which is probably a level anyone could lift up to 40 pounds, which might start to challenge some people. Uh, and again, we've gone over so many different basic movement patterns here. The swing itself is probably the best starting spot, as you mentioned, for people, because it can be a great heart rate. Uh, it can get your heart rate up. It's a great way to torch calories while building muscle in so many areas of your body. But sure. it's such a basic movement. It's just hinging the hips and snapping forward. And once you learn that movement, as we've discussed and have you, as you've mentioned, that kind of opens the door to all these other possibilities from there. And you could even do some of your more, more basic uh, dumbbell movements with a kettlebell. Like you could literally just take a kettlebell and do your farmer's carry suitcase, suitcase carries waiter walk, all that sort of thing. Just basic picking up something heavy and moving it around. And I echo your point about the trend of health in America. Um, there was a article, a research article in 2008. I've cited numerous times. Uh, Yufa Wang from Hopkins, Johns Hopkins, published this thing looking at the trend of obesity. And it basically said by the year 2048 or 2050, over 95% of Americans would be obese. So essentially 100%. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, we look at where we're at now. We've got only 6.8% of Americans, according to 2022 data, are actually metabolically healthy, meaning their body is using calories and energy systems the way it's meant to be used. And, you know, again, we can kind of say it's this, it's that, it's the other thing. Regardless of the cause, we know exercise helps. And if we can give people something to do that's active and fun and engaging and oh by the way you can do it anywhere you can do it in your garage you can do it in your bedroom you can take it on the road with you then that opens up the door to hopefully starting to reverse that problem yeah absolutely whenever i was working full-time and going to college full-time like the kettlebells were my saving grace like even with as busy as i was i could make time to get it done within 45 minutes to an hour so and of course i have more time to spend with it now um but even if you're a really busy person you can manage your time and you can scale it to where you can get a really effective workout and get in really good shape um 
And with all the information that we have at our disposal with the internet, with social media, and with kettlebells gaining more prevalence, which I, I certainly hope that it continues to grow in popularity even further, um, the excuses are just becoming less and less as far as why you can't get in shape. So, but I, I think as far as versatility and convenience is concerned, the kettlebell is the best tool out there as far as that goes. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, you might be the kind of person, like I know a lot of people find it hard to block even 30 minutes out in their day to do a workout. And I've given those people a three by five card before. And I said, look, here's what you're going to do. You're going to draw, say, three lines down it. So now you've got three lines times the uh, three columns times the six or seven rows that are on it. So what is that? Like 21 unique spots. And I said, at 21 points throughout your day, you're going to stop and you're going to do 10 bodyweight squats. Or in this yeah. case, you're going to do 10 kettlebell swings. Keep your kettlebell right next to your desk. And, you know, if you feel like you're mentally in need of a break and, you know, you can't focus at work, stand up do 10 kettlebell swings, mark it on your card, and then go back to work. And that might not sound like a lot, but by the end of the day, if you've done that for 21 or 25 or whatever number it ends up being times, then that's over 200 kettlebell swings, which if you did that consecutively, that would probably take you, I'd say 10, 12 minutes if you're just starting out. But, you know, breaking it up throughout your day makes it easy, keeps your heart rate up throughout the day. And it keeps you active and it helps keep you focused and engaged. So there's certainly a lot of benefits to this training style, more than we've even discussed thus far. Yeah, especially if you're a desk bound person like me, I, I work an office job. So one of the worst things that you can do for your body is sit in a chair all day. So if you have a kettlebell at the office, whether it's, you know, taking five minutes to find a stopping place while you're working or a 15 minute break, something like that, where you can just fit it in. What's the downside, you know? Um, and, and I've also, I, I believe there's been studies on this, but like, if you just make, if you work at an office job and you're, you're a desk jockey, if you just make time to just stand up, you know, every 30 minutes or so, which can be kind of difficult because if you're working with spreadsheets or you're working with a lot of documents and you're, you've got deadlines to meet, it's hard to pull yourself away from what you're doing a lot of the times. But if you just make the time to just stand up and move around and then you go back to work, you actually are more focused and more productive from doing that. You know, and it, it kind of reminds me of growing up, like my dad's an electrician. And um, whenever he would work on stuff sometimes and things just weren't working out, he would just get super frustrated. And he still does this. He has a horrible habit of doing this, but um, where he gets to work on something and things just aren't going right. And he just gets frustrated and he gets mad turning a wrench or whatever he's doing. And, and I've told him before, like, maybe if you just stop what you're doing for a little bit and just take a break and come back things will actually fall into place for you. <laughs> and, and usually that's what ends up happening. But you just, you get so infatuated with wanting to get something done or your, your ego gets caught up in something to where you just don't want to find a stopping place. 
but um, oftentimes if you just get up and take a break or do something else and get your mind off of it and come back to it, your import, your, your performance will improve as a result of that. And so if you're working at an office and you have a kettlebell sitting there and you just make the time to do a few swings and get up and get active and then go back to work, you might find that you do better at your job. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And I've got to give a plug for my athletes because I love the sports population from a physical therapy standpoint, exercise standpoint. And I feel like they're always being done a disservice in a lot of ways. And with kettlebells specifically, there's actually very few studies that I've been able to find that look at the use of kettlebell training for improving athletic performance or the use of kettlebell training to prevent injury or using kettlebells in a rehab population. However, the way I look at it is one, anytime you can get someone up and moving, it's going to have a positive impact, even in athletes, because I look at my high, the high school athletes that I work with, a lot of them are spending seven, eight hours a day in a desk at school. And then sure. they go from zero, which is sitting at a desk to a hundred jumping on the field and playing a full game or practice or whatever it is. And there's nothing bridging that gap between no intensity and all out intensity, except what they're doing, you know, at the game, at practice, you know, their little quick warm up drill, that sort of thing. So it's kind of nice to have a training style that you can modify and adjust. It can be done anywhere. It's cost effective. That kind of fills in that middle ground. I also like the kettlebells for improving power. Um, again, there's still not a ton of research on this, surprisingly. But I just look back at history. Kettlebells have worked for hundreds of years in training. And, you know, the Russians are certainly known for putting up sure. big numbers in strongman and Olympic lifting competitions. And I think that the kettlebell movements are very power explosive based if you do them correctly. And again, like we talked about with the get up and the bent press, you're exploring a lot of different ranges of movement and motion that we don't often hit. So as we explore those ranges and kind of strengthen those weak areas, your risk of injury should drop because you're getting stronger in the weak areas. The, the dilemma with, and you mentioned the high school level, I would love for high school athletes and high school athletic curriculum to incorporate kettlebell training more. The, the problems that we run into is, what is that school's budget as far as being able to afford a whole array of kettlebells? Cause they're not cheap. The other thing too is can be the learning curve. You know, kettlebells do take a little bit more time to learn in comparison to, to barbell training. You know, now if, if you limited it to, you know, just the swing, then you could make a case for that. You know, if you're going to take football players or basketball players and try to go beyond that and teach them the snatch and things like that, there's some learning curve that's involved with that. There's also the risk versus reward ratio. Like, could they possibly get injured, especially if you're working with like 20 or 30 athletes at a time? Like, how could you really make that work? Now, if you have an athlete that's in high school or, or college that's really serious about, you know, they're improving their athletic performance, then 
maybe you could recommend that they work with a kettlebell instructor or perhaps learn how to use kettlebells like on their own during the summer or learn how to do that, you know, outside of normal practice or normal training. That That's just, those are the dilemmas that I can kind of foresee being with high school athletes is just the learning curve, the affordability as far as having all the kettlebells there, things, those are things that come to my mind. But if we got to a point where coaches became more familiar at the high school level, became more familiar with kettlebell training and knowing how to use them and a point where kettlebells become more affordable. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of benefits that could come from doing that. How much time would you spend on the kettlebells as opposed to improving their sport, also improving coordination and maximum strength through barbell training, things like that. Um, those are kind of questions that would arise, but um, I do think that if you just train the swing in particular, that could, that could definitely go a long way. Maybe just incorporate the kettlebell swing and then work on other things like barbell training, jump rope, things like that as far yeah, as uh, their hundred percent yeah the art and science of training athletes is a very specific balance that yeah. everyone is always trying to find because you don't want to smoke them to the point of detracting from their performance in a game or practice but you also need to make sure you're giving them enough for benefit so yeah. balance is key and something like the swing is perfect for it because again it tends to avoid a lot of the eccentric because it's a very fast explosive movement so you're going to eliminate a lot of the muscle soreness and that hinging pattern should be fundamental to any athlete um, i also think that you can make a great case for something like the turkish get up which will take a lot longer for them to learn and master but you'll really find out where they compensate and where their weak spots are in their movement pattern overall and they don't have to be experts at it they don't have to take a turkish get up and load it with a heavy barbell by any means but just running them through that movement pattern and that could even turn into a great warm-up before activity itself yeah and the one thing that i think that like a kettlebell swing or a snatch is superior to as far as uh conditioning is concerned is like running and things of that it's it's so much harder to measure running and, and i mentioned this briefly in, in simple snatch programming is that the great thing about the snatch as well as the swing too is its measurability you can outline sets and reps and you can keep up with improvement in your snatch or in your swing all the way down to a single repetition so as long as you're just getting one repetition better that's still an improvement so you can you can whittle it all the way down to a repetition as far as improvement goes. Whereas if you're running out on a track, it's it can be a little bit harder to measure and improve like your one mile or your two mile run. But if you spend more time just improving the repetitions on a swing or a snatch or improving your conditioning in that regard, you may find that that measurability actually carries over to improving your one mile run or your two mile run better than running would 
Well, Zach, this has been an amazing episode talking about pretty much everything related to kettlebell training. Do you have any kind of closing thoughts or closing remarks you want people to take away? I, I would just say that if you're, if you're just thinking about kettlebell training or if you're new to kettlebell training, go to, go to your local sports store, sporting goods store, see if they have a kettlebell. Just mess around with it for a little bit and see if you like it. And then once you get started down the, the path of kettlebell training, hey, just start small, start simple. And then if it's something that you really enjoy, go down the rabbit hole even further. 100%. Yeah, get started and don't stop and don't look back, right? <laughs> Seemed to work well for you. So, uh, Zach, for people who want to find out more about you and find your books, where can they find you at? Uh, you can follow me at wondering underscore Girovic on Instagram, or you can look me up by my name, uh, Zach Morris, Z-A-K-M-O-R-R-I-S. Um, you can find me on Instagram. You can also find me on Facebook as well. Um, both of my books are on Amazon. So if you just look up my author page on, uh, amazon.com, you can find me there as well. Awesome. Great stuff. We'll link to that all below in case you didn't quite catch it. So you can just click there. Zach, this has been a great episode. Thank you again for your time, man. Hey, I appreciate you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brown Body Health and Fitness Podcast. If you liked this episode, please make sure to share it with a friend subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, and leave a review. This way we can spread knowledge and motivation and help reach more people. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you next time.